the way to become a follower of Jesus who is great is to become the servant of another person. Uh, look at this statement up here on the screen. This is this church's vision. And we want to be a place that builds up disciples who invite and inspire others to love and serve Jesus together. What I want to show you this morning is that disciples are men and women who serve. In particular, look, disciples serve Jesus together. If we want to follow Jesus and grow, the way we will do that is by becoming servants of the people who are here with this morning, the people who our lives overlap with most. In a nutshell, if we want to grow, we have to become servants of one another. That really is this morning's lesson. That's it. And I know that's easy enough to understand, but would you admit with me that it's very hard to practice? Because when it comes to growing, almost every place where we want to grow teaches us that we measure progress by how high we've climbed. But the path of serving leads in the opposite direction. And most of us don't naturally want to go there. Yes or no? Yes. When I first left seminary as a young pastor, I moved into Red Bank. And I didn't have an office to work in. And so it was the coffee, uh, the coffee shop on the corner of Broad and White Street in Red Bank. Ever been there? That was my office. Every morning I would set up at the table there. And there was another group of guys who also met at that coffee shop. They were older than me. They were well-dressed businessmen. They were loud and they were fun to overhear, especially the kinds of stories they told. Does anybody else listen in? I love that. Everybody in town knew these guys, especially everybody knew Mike. He was kind of like their ringleader. And I used to sit there listening to their stories. One morning, he was regaling his friends with a particularly off-color story, and I was definitely overhearing, when he (laughs) stood up and walked to get a refill, and as he walked by the table where I was, he stopped, and he looked down. I had my Bible open, and he said, what are you doing? It's the first time he talked to me. What are you doing? I said, I'm a pastor. His eyes got big. He covered his mouth. He leaned forward and said, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. (laughs) I explained to him that I was not a priest, but I went to seminary to learn to become a pastor, to get involved in ministry. And so that day we settled on the title minister. And from then on, that's what he called me every time he saw me. I'd come in, good morning, minister, and, and I would sit down and coffee and bagels and breakfast sandwiches would show up at my table there, uninvited. It was wonderful. I loved it. In Mike's eyes and in the eyes of all of his friends, I had assumed a position of elevation. They looked up to me. I was holier than they were now. I was more special, and, and in, in effect, really, I was higher up, and I liked almost everything about that except partly the way they edited their stories. It was a lot less fun to listen in. But also, I, I, I knew deep down inside that it wasn't right for me to take pleasure in feeling higher than they were. Because at that point in my life, at least I knew enough about Jesus to know that's not how it works with him. Uh, to know that with Jesus, it's not the person who's higher up above others that's great, but rather the one who's willing to be low. There was irony, in fact, every time Mike referred to me as minister, he didn't know this. 
But the word minister in Greek is diakonia. Exactly the same Greek word as servant. He, re- he was reminding me every time of the truth that I want you to see this morning, and I, I want everyone here to see it, which is that the best follower of Jesus is the one who serves best. Because that's, listen now, because that's who Jesus is, the one who serves best. Do you see that? And a, and a disciple is someone who follows, which means goes on the same path as. And since the path which Jesus, our Lord, who is the king, chose for us because he loved us, led him to become our servants, it means that if we want to follow him, we will have to serve. And it will not be have to, but rather it will be get to. Because what we'll find, which is a surprise, is that when we serve others, we have never been closer to Jesus, never been closer to God than when we are serving. Does someone in here know that from experience? Jesus taught this lesson as clearly as he could to the disciples and as often as he could. And this morning, we're going to take one look at a a particular moment where he taught it clearly. Uh, Jesus and his followers were traveling in the region of Galilee. Uh, They were going from place to place, and, and they were observing Jesus' lessons and the way he healed and the way he taught. It was magnificent. They moved from Bethsaida, which was a fishing village on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. They moved from there uh, downward uh, because they were going to travel to Jerusalem. It was, was going to be a long walk, and so uh, they decided to take a break in a village called Capernaum. And, and here I'm sharing details because those of us who are going to go to Israel in April are going to actually go to this very place. Uh, they decided to take a break there in Capernaum partly because one of Jesus' followers had a house there, and so they went to his home. And when they got inside, Jesus, well, he taught them a lesson about serving, and we need to learn this lesson. So listen to what happened. This is Mark 9, verse 33. Then they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the way? Now, they had walked for a long time, And apparently on their walk from Bethsaida to Capernaum, there was an argument that had broken out amongst the disciples. There was a dispute that arose between them. Now they thought that Jesus didn't know about it because they had sort of maybe stuck back a little bit while he walked ahead. But now that they're all together in the house, they're suddenly discovering that Jesus actually was listening in to what they were talking about. They didn't want him to hear, but he'd heard. And and I want you to see how they... They they respond in verse 34, but they were silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another who was the greatest. There was a contest that had happened among them, and they were embarrassed to let Jesus know what they were arguing about. Can you imagine why you'd be embarrassed if you were having that kind of discussion around Jesus? I mean, for one thing, here is their master who repeatedly and consistently humbles himself to be with them, and every one of them knows it. But then on the other hand, they have it in their hearts that he's going to Jerusalem because he's the Messiah. They'd begun to believe that, and that means he's the king, the true king. And so, well, they couldn't help it. Going along with him made them wonder which one of us is going to sit where when King Jesus finally establishes his kingdom. And so, as they went along, they had this argument with one another, but they didn't want Jesus to know, not only because it was just the kind of thing you wouldn't want to tell Jesus about, but it also came down to what he had shared with them while they were walking. If you read earlier in Mark, Jesus decided to open up with them as they were going away from Bethsaida about the fact that when they got to Jerusalem, he was actually going to be killed. Imagine that. Your master says, 
I've been keeping this from others, but now it's time for me to let you guys in on what's happening. When we get down to Jerusalem, I'm going to be betrayed and I'm going to die and they're going to crucify me. And then on the third day, I'm going to rise. Mark actually tells us the disciples had no idea what he was talking about. They couldn't understand it. And so they didn't ask him because they were afraid to ask him. And then after that is when they had the contest about which one was the greatest. You wouldn't want Jesus to know what you were talking about either, would you? Now listen, this wasn't the first time or the last time that this happened. And this is important for us to grasp. Three times in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus confided in his followers to tell them about his coming death, and all three times, immediately following that, they're having a discussion about who's going to be higher than the others around them because what we need to see is an impulse which lived in them, which will also live in every one of us as we try to follow Jesus. And here it is, that disciples will want their association with Jesus to lift them above other people. And if you've never felt this impulse yourself, I'll just tell you, it's, it might be because you haven't followed Jesus long enough. But it's just a part of us that we will want not only to be higher than where we had been because we go with Jesus, and of course all of us should want that, but we'll also want to be higher than our perceived competitors. And there lives in every one of us a way of measuring our own worth against other people that will emerge even as we try to follow Jesus so that we will, well, we'll make almost everything into a contest. Yes or no? We naturally want distinction and recognition. Yes, I'll say that about me. Anyone who spends time with me as a friend knows that I turn almost everything into a competition. Yes or no? <laughs> it's true. In the classroom, and those of you who are students here will find it, and you'll be pressured toward it, right? in the boardroom, in the business that you have, on the court or in the field or in the club, and all of those places, maybe it's okay, but then it comes into our family room or with our friends, and then worst of all, with the people that we come to worship with, to the others who are wanting to follow Jesus with us. If it happened with them, it will happen with us. To the people who are in our small group at church, or the ones who are in the Bible study in our office, wherever we are, we will want to outrank others who are also following after Jesus. Now, listen to this. The reason this is something we need to see is because Jesus wants to help us. Did you, did you hear that? It's important for all of us to understand this. When we come to Jesus, we come to someone who wants to help us, not someone who wants to shove our failures in our face, but rather someone who is gracious and understands that we are all of us on the road, and we're all learning, and what Jesus wants is to teach us. And that's what he wanted to do in Capernaum. And so he knew, he knew what they were talking about, not just because he had supersonic hearing, but because when people, when disciples argue about who's better, everyone around can tell. Do you know that? And Jesus could tell. And when he asked them, what were you arguing about? It wasn't because he didn't know. He wanted to give them the chance to tell. And when they were silent, they were saying to Jesus, we can't admit it in front of you. We hope you won't see it. But Jesus saw it. He did, and he wanted to teach them. And so let's, let's go back to the story and see how he did it. This is verse 35, after their silence. He sat down and called the 12, and he said to them, whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. It's really important to see what Jesus didn't say. Jesus did not say, I know exactly what you were talking about. And I cannot tell you how disappointed I am in you. 
that I would have opened up to you this terrible thing that's happening in my life. And instead of saying anything, no one even said a word to me. Instead of that, you just went back and started fighting out which one of you is the greatest. What is wrong with you? He did not say that. And the reason he didn't say that is Jesus is a gracious teacher. Have you had a teacher who's not gracious? Yeah. Some of you are like, you should meet my science teacher. Is it English? Which one is it? <laughs> don't say, don't say. <laughs> but, but many of us have people around us who are, how about this? Are you a gracious teacher with yourself when you fail as a disciple? This right here is, is an invitation from our Lord to leave the mistakes we've made behind and rather than dwelling on what's back there, because Jesus doesn't do that with him. He doesn't say, let me tell you about what's back there. Instead, to look where we are right now and right now to learn. And that's what Jesus wanted. He didn't want to fuss about what was behind. He wanted to address them where they were right there and teach them. And he wants to do that for us who are gathered in his name this morning as well. That's exactly what Jesus wants. And his lesson is hard, but look at it. It's whoever wants to be first must be last of all. That's a really hard lesson. And it's hard... Uh, it's hard because everything in us will want to become great by progressing upward. But the invitation from our Lord is, if you want to follow me, it's going to be the opposite way around. Let's take our time and be as precise as we can about what Jesus is saying here. The word first in Greek is protos. Uh, when you hear of a prototype, that's the Greek word first type. That word protos is used in various ways when used to designate how a person stands within a group. It can be used spatially, first of all, to indicate the one who's out front, the one who's the most prominent, the first one you see. It can be used temporally to designate the premier in a sequence, the one who is the vanguard who everyone else looks at and wants to follow because they want to be like that person. It can also be used in an evaluative way to signify the highest in rank or the most eminent, the most important. Jesus sitting there with those disciples knew that all three of those were their aspirations, to be first in that way. And he knew it partly because their religious environment had shaped and encouraged them to want this way of being protos first. Listen, be more righteous and just than others. There were plenty of religious teachers in Jesus' day who taught that. If you want to be better than other followers, you have to be more just and righteous than they are. Or, or this one, uh, knowledge of the Torah is the most important. Whoever knows the scriptures best is first. There were plenty of, of Pharisees who taught that to the people that were amongst those religious folks. Some rabbis said, top spot goes to the teacher who leads the faithful to the righteousness by their lessons and how quality they are. How surprising that a teacher would have a, a view like that. Jesus speaks up relative to all those other voices and says, no, that's not how it's going to work with me. First place goes to the one not who is protos, but rather who is eschatos, last. And that word in Greek literally means the opposite of protos. It is the end. It is the one who's all the way back there. No one can see them. It's the one who's at the tail instead of the head, all the way at the rear, the least important in any metric of measuring. In Jesus' community, rank will be turned upside down. The greatest will be, look again at the image that Jesus brought before them, the servant of all. That is how you will be first according to Jesus. Servant of everyone. Now, when I hear that, there's a part of me that's inspired because I've grown up in a religious environment where the idea that someone should serve 
it feels good. Does it feel good when you think about serving? Yeah, that only shows you how far away you were from Jesus' disciples in that day. And here I'm being, uh, uh, I'm being completely sincere. For them to hear that you should be a servant would have been scandalous and truly absurd. Uh, because the Greek environment they grew up in could think of no less desirable kind of person to be than a servant. Uh, how can a man be happy when he has to serve anyone? That was a well-known sentiment that was written by Plato. Have you heard of Plato? Everyone there knew Plato. And, and Plato wrote that because everyone agreed with it. That the less you had to serve in life, the better your life would be. And here Jesus says to those disciples who he wants to teach in that room, the ones who naturally are inclined to progress by becoming better than others, he tells them the path to true greatness leads all the way down to where you become the servant of everyone. This is the path you will have to walk if you are going to be my disciple, Jesus says. Now, leave behind the house in Capernaum and think of this gathering spot here in Summit. Jesus says to us that if we're going to grow as his followers, and all of us should grow as his followers, it's going to happen when we begin to serve one another and look at ourselves as the servants of all. And here, listen to me. Before you start asking what will that look like for me, I want you to know that when Jesus said that to them, he was talking, first of all, about himself. And this is really important. The disciples did not know what was going to happen when they got to Jerusalem, even though Jesus had told them. And what was going to happen there is they were going to see how their master and their rabbi Jesus would in fact become the servant of all by humbling himself and letting, letting the crowd's desire for his death lead him right up onto the cross for every single man and woman who would ever live. He died there as the servant of all. Do you see it? And here you must grasp this. If you're going to follow Jesus, you must grasp that first of all, every single step you take is going to be a step that you're free to take because in Christ, God gave his life for you and he's done that completely. Did you hear that? Here, think of this, that God's disposition toward you is most clearly articulated in what Jesus did for you on the cross, which is he gave his life for you because he loves you just that much. And now there is solid ground beneath your feet so that you can stand and walk and follow after him day after day in, in the only path that is true life. And that is purely good news all the way through and through. And Jesus, who served you, did that to set you free from sin. He's done it. You're completely free. And his, his first calling to you, if you will walk in that freedom, is that you would use that freedom not for self-indulgence, but rather to walk in the way that master Jesus walked, which is to become the servant of everyone who's around you, to serve like Jesus served. Now, I'm going to tell you this. You don't look terribly thrilled at this moment. And, well, it's good, it's good that you don't. Let me tell you why. In Capernaum, when the disciples heard that, they were baffled. They really were. It was hard for them to imagine. And Jesus knew it. And he really wanted them to, to learn. And so he didn't end his lesson there with those words. He actually looked around in the house and he saw a child. And what he saw when he saw that child was an opportunity to illustrate what he had just taught them. Look at uh, how it progresses. Uh, this is the second part uh, this is, excuse me, this is verse 36. Here's what he said, uh, or what he did. Then uh, he took a little child and put it among them. 
I mean, if you're like me, this seems sweet and sentimental that Jesus would stop the lesson and put a, a cute little child there, but that's not what it looked like to the disciples. To them, this was a strange intrusion because their, children, their, their culture had no time for children. Okay, as one rabbi put it in the Mishnah, and you can read this yourself, spending time with a child was as productive as getting drunk in the middle of the day. <laughs> uh, or sleeping late into the morning instead of working or wasting your time in the house of a fool. That's how they looked at children. And so this child that Jesus puts in the middle of them, if you're gonna see it like they would have, is an image of the eschatos, a picture of the last, the lowest and least significant person that Jesus could find in the room. It's the kind of person that you would avoid if you wanted to be great in the same old way. And Jesus places this last one right in their midst and watch this, verse 37. And taking it in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Now this is profound. Jesus embraces the most insignificant person in the whole house folds him up in his arms, and then he tells them, whoever welcomes the lowest person in my name, whoever receives the person who's the least significant in the manner in which Rabbi Jesus teaches you to welcome, which is to welcome others as the servant of all, according to Jesus, that person is actually welcoming Jesus himself. Can you see it there? And then he adds this, look, and whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. He means God himself. And here, the, the power of that lesson, it's hard to overestimate. If we follow it carefully, it's unbelievable. Jesus is telling them that the one who serves an insignificant person because he is choosing greatness in Jesus' way is actually serving Jesus himself in that least significant person. Do you see that? And, and, and if we go on from there, whoever serves Jesus himself, according to Jesus, as he strives to be an obedient disciple, is actually serving God himself. And if this is true, it means that when we serve one another, as long as we're doing that in Jesus' name, we are actually serving God himself. And so, those who want to serve others as followers of Jesus will find out that in the process of serving others, they are actually closer to God than anyone else was. Because God is right there in the least of these. This is absolutely stunning. It means if, you, if you've come in this morning and you've, you've been thinking for some time now, I really wish I could glow, grow closer to Jesus, or I wish I felt the presence of God more in my life, then here is... Jesus himself teaching you that the way to do that is to serve somebody. Since God is present in the one being served, that is where you will find him. Now here, let's dwell on this a little bit. And let's do everything we can to avoid this just being an abstract idea or a thought that we had one Sunday morning, which left us as quickly as it came into our minds, so that we can learn to serve others and in that way find ourselves serving God. Let's start here. Someone in this room took out a roast this morning to defrost, and they're going to prepare it this afternoon, and it's going to be good. Gravy, mashed potatoes, okay? You with me? And there's going to be someone else in this church that you've never met. And the reason you never met them is this is the first Sunday they ever came here. In fact, they just moved here from far away and they don't know anybody. And that means this afternoon is going to be a lonely time. And you think, 
I want to serve because I want to grow as a follower. And so you open your home hospitably to them. And there you set the food before them. And you make it a good meal. And at the end of that meal, what you will discover, if Jesus is right, is that you had actually been in the presence of God while you dined. Isn't that amazing? Anybody else hungry now? (laughs) It's as concrete as the, the table that you'll sit at this call of Jesus. And it's not just there, it's, it's literally everywhere. Someone in this room is going to read the grief share curriculum and they're gonna sit in the student space this week with maybe four or five people whose hearts are broken because someone they loved has died. And before that meeting opens, that person's gonna pray and that person is gonna lead the discussion as there are folks in that circle who are crying because their hearts are breaking. But that person who's going to lead that discussion is doing it because they believe that God has called them to serve others because they want to follow Jesus. That's how they serve. Or maybe it's the Rays of Hope meeting or the divorce recovery group. But what's going to happen in the course of that time is that as you look in the eyes of the other person who's suffering and they're crying, you are actually seeing into God's eyes according to Jesus. That's how it works with him. Isn't that remarkable? Uh, Maybe you're too young to cook or to lead a grief grief share group, but you're going to go to school. You're going to be in school, and there's kids in school who nobody likes, and maybe it's been hard to like them because of the way they behaved. But then you're going to think, I want to follow Jesus. I know him. I want to go in the way that Jesus goes, and then your heart's going to say, go over to that person and put your hand on their shoulder and befriend them. And if you do that, your hand will be on the shoulder, according to Jesus, of one in whom God himself is present because you're serving in Jesus' name. And then you will know what it is to follow Jesus and grow as one of his followers. When you give time to someone who needs time, and and you give it just because you know Jesus has called me to give, or when you visit a forgotten and lonely incarcerated person, or if you go and feed someone who's hungry or give water to someone who's thirsty, or maybe you say, I'm gonna save up my money and go to Guatemala with the church that I'm a part of to to help someone down there. When When you serve someone who who you would never give yourself to if your attitude was, I'm gonna get higher and higher and be great in that way. When you do that in Jesus' name, you are serving Jesus himself and that's how we grow as followers of Jesus because Jesus' disciples are people who serve one another and in so doing serve God himself. That is how it works according to Jesus and that's what he taught those disciples in that home at Capernaum and that's what we should learn. You know, if you learned it, it would change things for you. Do you see that? Yeah. It was a really hard lesson for those disciples to learn. We know this because as you read through the rest of Mark, as they got closer to Jerusalem and Jesus talked again about his crucifixion, then it was two disciples getting their moms involved to argue about which one would sit higher. Do you know that story? It's so embarrassing. But it just shows how hard it is to learn this. But listen, we we can be confident that the disciples actually did get it because uh, there was one disciple who was there, we know for sure, who learned the lesson and then actually ended up writing a letter which appears in our Bibles, and that is Peter. Uh, Two letters uh, of his ended up in the Bible, and in Peter's letter, uh, he actually talked about serving very directly. He gives anyone who will have eyes and a heart that is open an image to guide them into truly serving, and and here I want to take us so that we leave this morning with a concrete image to look at. First Peter 4.10, Peter wrote, like good stewards 
of the manifold grace of God, serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received. You see, from being with Jesus, Peter learned that everyone has a gift, and you all do. And from being with Jesus, his master, he learned that the best way to grow is to serve others. And so he said, serve one another with whatever gift you have. And he gave the image of a steward because it was a really good picture to hold on to in their minds. A steward is a servant who lives in the house of his master and really has only one responsibility, to distribute faithfully the master's goods to everybody in the house. And that is to to give out the food and the water and the goods, whatever they are. And Peter wanted everyone who would listen and follow the master who he followed to do just that, to say, I'm going to be a steward and that's what I'm going to see myself. And here I want to give you the kinds of concrete challenges that I think Peter would want you to have and Jesus would certainly want you to have as well. Here's the first one. I challenge you to see yourself as a steward in the place you go to tomorrow. Okay, for a lot of you, that will be the office or work. And that happens to be the place where you spend most of your time. Uh, If you're not old enough to work yet in school, you should see yourselves as stewards. And that means wherever you are, uh, whether it's in the boardroom or in the, the lunchroom, to say, what are the gifts that God has given me? And then ask, how can I distribute them faithfully in the way that God would want me to, to be a servant? And maybe at work, that means being more patient than normal with someone who doesn't deserve it. Or listening to someone who's got a tough time taking them aside or saying, I'll take you to lunch and then say, tell me about how hard this is for you. I overheard it. I know this isn't work, but can I be a support to you? Or at school, something like that as well. That's the first place, at work or at school. Here, the second place that we should take this challenge is where we are right now at our church. And if you're visiting from another church, take this back with you to the church that you're a part of. Ask in the church that you're a part of, how can I be a servant here? In the community of faith, it's very easy in church Uh, when things aren't exactly as you wish, to say, oh, our church, they're doing things that way or this way. You are a part of the church. And instead of always wanting to be served, ask, how can I serve here? And I just have to say, at Renaissance Church, one of the things that I love best about this place is how many of you are serving. It's incredible. You are. Thank you. On on the behalf of, of Jesus, the master, thank you for your service. But keep it up. And all of us should ask that. How can we serve? How can we use the gifts that God has given us to serve one another? And it doesn't have to be great or noteworthy. It can be simple. In fact, maybe the the simpler it is, the better it is in Jesus' eyes. Uh, But serve here. And then here's the third place that I would like to ask you to consider how to be a steward. It's at home. The reason this is the place to end, well, it's because we know that Peter learned the lesson from Jesus because the house in Capernaum that they were at was Jesus, uh, excuse me, was Peter's house. He was the one who had that house there. And that means that the child that Jesus took and put in the midst of them must have been one of Peter's children. And imagine that lesson. Imagine arguing about which one of you was the greatest, coming home, being annoyed at your children for getting in the way when something more important was going on. I know no one here has ever done that. (laughs) And then seeing Jesus take your own child in front of all of you and embrace that child and say, you receive this one and you receive me. I don't think there's any, any passage in the Bible that more exalts the hard work of being a parent and the magnitude of how important it is to be a parent well. And if you're a parent, then it means you should ask, how can I be a steward of the gifts God has given me as a parent? You can do that if you have young children. You can do that if you have adult children too, and you should. And if you don't have children and you're here, you can do that with your spouse if you've got a spouse. And all of us should think of our spouses as an opportunity from Jesus to serve, to show that we're growing as disciples. 
If you don't have a spouse and you're all alone, then, then trust me here, God gives us one another as a spiritual family to receive one another as spiritual moms and dads and siblings and, and, and as uh, even spiritual children. Uh, but here, see yourself as a steward there. And, and if you do that, this is what Jesus promises. If you do that, you will be great in the way that Jesus redefines greatness, which is to be the servant of all. And he redefines that, first of all, by serving you. And then second of all, by inviting you to walk on the path that he's already walked for you, which is the best path of all to walk on, the path of serving one another. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the kind of God that you are. The one who is most exalted by becoming a servant. The one who is great by humbling himself. The one who reigns not upon a gilded throne, but rather upon an old rugged cross. We thank you that in Christ you gave yourself to us an act of service so that we could live and be free. And we pray now for spending this time studying together your word and sitting, sitting in the presence of Jesus as he taught that we would learn together how to serve one another. And I pray that we would become great as servants. And in that way, God, I pray that we would become even closer than we are already to you, that we would know what it is to be with you by serving others in your name. And I pray for this in the name of Jesus, the servant of all. Amen.